Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. How are you now? Broadcasting from the VFS studios in Sydney, you are listening to The Bip Show, Season 6, Episode, I don't know, 5, doesn't matter, it's the Christmas Special! Congratulations everyone, we managed to get through another year, bruised, battered, scarred, don't forget to hit subscribe to uh, wherever you get your podcasts, and a reminder... Uh, that all the financial information in this podcast is generally in nature. Only speak to a professional advisor about your needs. There are two professional advisors who can deal in the retail markets on this show. I am one of them, James Whelan, Investment Manager at VFS Group. Uh, Colgo, is he had to fly back to Davos because he forgot his house keys. Uh, we wish him all the best on that trip and hope that he can join us in 2023. This episode is being recorded on the 16th of December, 2022 AD. The time is currently 11, 10 a.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time in our jam-packed show for Christmas today, the last one of the year. I know a lot of people will be happy about that. Thank you very much for all of my fans on Twitter. We are joined by Adelaide Timbrell, Senior Economist at the ANZ. We've got Martin Wetton, Head of Fixed Interest and FX Strategy at the Commonwealth Bank of Australia, and Heath Moss, Principal at HLM Investments. How are you now? Very good, thank you. Thank you. You can all talk. So how <laughs> good it was, it'll sound right. Now, putting it mildly, it's been some kind of a week. Locally, we had uh, we had jobs numbers yesterday showing interesting participation rate. Not really, but uh, we'll talk to maybe Adelaide about that. I think she seems to know this, 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 this. She would know what she's talking about there. Overseas, we had a CPI miss that turned into a sort of a bearish situation. A Fed raise, which was less than what it would usually be, which is also seen as bearish. Last night, retail numbers, which also came in bearishly, uh, and and along with that, we seem to have a coordinated effort by every major central bank in the world uh, with a coordinated attempt to brutalise the market. Thank you very much for that, everyone. I've been saying for a while there's a time when bad news stops being good news and, in fact, becomes bad news. Last night was a real hint that maybe that is the time. When bad news is bad news, we are in a bad situation. Uh, we're going to start with you, Heath, um, for a quick... Okay. Run around the grounds uh, locally, mate. Where are you seeing? Is, is bad news bad news? Um, oh, it depends on what the news. What news is bad? Um, if if uh, if it was uh, a higher than expected inflation rate, then yes, it's it's bad news. But uh, um, outside of that, I think the markets. Was, I'm seeing a pattern at the moment in equity markets where whereby um, the Fed and the RBA here in Australia um, have been quite dovish in between. Um, in between meetings, uh, giving a dovish tone, and equity markets have liked that and rallied on the back of that the last couple of months. But then we get to the meetings, and they sort of brought back to reality, and uh, we've 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 been slammed back down with a hawkish stand. So uh, it's still that's that's what the trade is at the moment. Everyone's still focused on inflation and and uh, where uh, rates are going, 
Um, so, but yeah, at the moment, yeah, like, like I said, I mean, if we look at, uh, like we said, um, uh, the news yesterday about uh, Australian jobs uh, was extremely, extremely um, bullish. Um, and uh, I know we came off a little bit on after that, the Aussie dollar rose a bit. So, and I saw yields rise a bit. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's, for me, it's, a, it's data dependent. It, you can't say it stretches across, you know, everything at the moment. Well, we've uh, we've also thanks for that, Heath. We've also just been joined Impact player Kit Low. Um, I'm not entirely sure where I'm supposed to be. Uh, oh, he's just disappeared. What was that? <laughs> okay, thanks, Kit. Kit just Kit just Kit just 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 drove just did a drive by. That was fantastic. Um, anyway, it's a Christmas special. Everyone's joining us. Marty, um, RBA news, expectations, um, jobs yesterday, yields. What's what are you seeing? What's on your radar at the moment? Well, there's bad news. Bad news. As you've often reminded me, it's something I've learned recently as well. Uh, when yields rise, prices fall. Excellent. Um, but however, when yields fall, prices are rising. That's actually good for the bond market. Um, I would say, uh, look, I agree. Yes, people are still focusing very much in, on inflation, but they're not focusing so much on the ongoing rise in inflation because that has ship has sailed. Uh, you know, you, you are seeing a steadying in a lot of the goods, you know, the service prices, which has been the part that's been very sticky. But you are seeing falls in goods prices, containers, rejections of containers, those sorts of things, um, commodity prices. They're all starting to fall. And I do think that in 2023, uh, the crystal ball says that inflation will fall away pretty rapidly. I don't think, though, that it's going to fall back to where it was, as into a very, very low number, which means the central banks cut all the way back down. I do think they do cut, but it'll be a little bit more limited. And you do see that showing up in corners of the market, particularly things like interest rate collars and volatility, where there is a flaw on how far things will fall. Mm. But I look at uh, lots of things uh, beyond sort of the straight stuff you can pull off a Bloomberg terminal, like what did the Fed do last night? And I'm looking at the moment at South Korea. November CPI fell 0.1%. It was 0.3% in October. The headline fell from 5.7 to 5. The exports fell 14% in November. Remember, that's a big exporting country where demand for its products are around the world. Import growth is 2.7% from 9.9. So all that weight of cash that is in all these economies, that's starting to dry out. Manufacturing business survey fell 4 points to 69. Retail sales growth is falling. Industrial production fell 3.5% in the last month. Uh, all those things to me tell me that a country like um, South Korea, uh, and by the way, the unemployment rate has started to rise there. So I, I look at those things and say, that's the canary in the coal mine that I'm watching, and that is what's going to guide me for what happens in 2023. Rates peak sometime in the first quarter, and the market will start to price them in for cuts. Uh, they already are a little bit, but more aggressively from the middle of the year. Okay, so, so South Korea is our canary, is it? In some ways, yes. Okay. Okay. So that's because of, that's because of the export. Big open economy, economy. big exporter. Yeah. Uh, you know, subject to um, demand and supply issues. Uh, don't forget, it's also a big manufacturer of things like microchips. And if the exports are starting to fall, I think you know they're things you need to watch. Ah, oh, fantastic. Uh, look, that, I like that. We'll get we'll get back around to that. What we can watch out for. Adelaide, the amazing Adelaide Timberal from ANZ Bank. Uh, is bad news bad news for you? Look, I think that if I can use a, an MMA analogy here, 
we've had the Reserve Bank and, and policy around the world kind of doing calf kicks. You know, this is something that a lot of MMA <laughs> fighters do just to kind of pull down people's defences. And it's not going to be until 2023 that we see those actually convert into that lack of defence um, from, you know, Australian households and from the global economy. So we've been doing these little calf kicks going, okay, if we keep kicking them in, in the leg, they'll fall down at some point or they won't be able to fight back properly. And I think 2023, is the year where we aren't able to fight back properly. You know, the canary in the coal mine in an Australian sense is household spending and we've actually seen disappointing Black Friday sales and we're seeing disappointing December um, spending as well. You know, Black Friday sales to an extent can be, you know, explained away by, oh, you know, less goods, more services. Of course, the retail sector is not going to have a, a huge spike, but there's not enough services spending to be able to say that at this point. So we do think that, you know, we're going to see a plateau in interest rates at around the 3.85 mark in Australia, higher across the rest of the world, peppered recessions in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, and I think really we're going to start to see that household stress actually come into economic growth, business revenue, uh, and maybe even into mortgage arrears rates a little bit next year. So bad news does become bad news in that sense, but it's the bad news we need. Uh, because otherwise inflation keeps overperforming and, and we keep having um, that destruction of income through um, too high inflation across the world. Yeah, I could sort of see that happening. You know, uh, our conversation that we had a couple of months ago, what was it a couple of months ago, to talk about how consumer sentiment was so bad, yet yet retail sales and spending was still so high. Um, and you, you were seeing it in that discretionary side in, in restaurants, what was it, in, in restaurants and shops and things like that. And I, the, 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 the joke that we made was restaurants – full of people complaining about how bad the economy is. Uh, that um, That is still the case, but what's your canary? What, so in, in the same way that, that Marty can see the canary globally from a, from a big picture being uh, South Korea, do you have anything locally that we should look at to go, okay, that is now officially the top? Will Governor Lowe say it's the top, that that's the end, or is it just going to be something that just happens and then it happens? Look, I think when we look at the canaries in the coal mine in Australia, we can basically set aside uh, the labour market. Labour market's going to be strong for a really long time and could even be strong in a potential mild recessionary situation. And that's just because we have so many unfilled jobs, about 495,000 from the November data. That's a, a huge increase over normal times. So really what we've got to look at is, you know, what are households actually doing? How are they responding? Uh, up until pretty recently, they were responding by ignoring it, by, as you say, complaining about the economy, but spending money while doing that. And I yeah. think we're finally starting to see the turning point there. So um, retail and consumption numbers in the very early parts of next year are going to be the things that I'm watching most closely when it comes to um, the economy. It is really the make or break. That's what the Reserve Bank's trying to do with these interest rate increases. It's trying to stop people from spending money, but we don't have the same rule book as we used to because we've got far more savings than usual, got all these fixed rates. Um, when the fixed bite, if you're waiting for the fixed rates to roll off to see how people are going to respond, you probably be a little bit behind the eight ball on what we are actually seeing. And what we're seeing so far is, you know, the turning point on household consumption growth may be happening right now. Got it. Got it. Okay. So now with links to equity markets we've seen that and there's a beautiful chart that i've used a bit which has shown that every time historically that at least i know for the fed every time that the that the, that the federal reserve has stopped their rate hikes 
the next year in equity markets has been completely abysmal. Now, I don't know if that speaks for Australia. I know that the, I know that that's the historical case in the US. Heath, your outlook for twenty twenty three. What do, do you do? You think I know that I know that I'm talking about the American markets, and I know that you deal in in local markets. So, what, where do you see where do you see the local stuff going in twenty three? Look, I'm a little bit against the grain here, and and quite optimistic when we talk about twenty twenty three. I think it's uh, I'm I'm coining it and, and labelling it as the Goldilocks year, where everything is is just right for equities. We're finally going to get some stability and consensus out there in terms of rates. We're going to see uh, central banks like the Fed and the RBA pause for for large amounts of time, and this is going to bring back confidence into equity markets. You know, uh, equities will be able to be valued appropriately at the moment. I think one of the biggest reasons we've seen such large falls, especially in the U.S., um, over the last 12 months is, you know, people don't know how to value equities because we had no answer of how high and how far they're going to they're, they're lift rates. We're starting to get an answer with that. So I think especially after Q1 next year, we're going to see uh, more stability there um, and we're going, going, going to see equities respond uh, appropriately. Yes, there's going to be earnings uh, downgrades and, and fall off earnings, but the market's going to look towards 2024, I believe. Um, and we're going to see a half decent year. Gen- generally, after such a bad year on the uh, S and P five hundred, they rarely have two really bad years in a row. Yeah, um, it is it is an extremely rare event. So I would expect a you know nothing outstanding, but uh, you know a decent bounce back in markets uh, in twenty twenty three for uh, the Goldilocks year. Now let's just take a little look backwards. This is a Christmas special, so we need to talk about our highlights and lowlights. Uh, I'll go to you, Martin. And what's what, what was what were some of your your highlights and lowlights? I mean, I know that you want to mention Gareth's call of the twenty five basis of of, of of card as being one of the highlights of the thing. Let's not let's oh, not blow too much smoke. Uh, yeah, I think that was you know well done to him on on sort of calling that. But also, I would say um, again highlighting him here. Uh, it's been eleven years, eleven and a half years since the RBA was in a hiking cycle, and one of the I think the mechanics of the mortgage market and the pass-through of interest rates was not really understood by the RBA and certainly not understood by most market participants, and that's mostly a fixed-income story, and that is that the pass-through due to sort of consumer laws and um, and other things takes as long as two and a half to three months, and that was less understood. So when, when Adelaide was talking about the consumer before, I envisited in my mind as a wily E. Coyote moment where the coyote's running over the cliff and he's still furiously running in the air <laughs> and then suddenly he realises he's run out of money and because he has to pay his mortgage and so forth and then things just drop away really quickly. I, I do see that as a very near-term view. Um, I'd say lowlights would be um, first half of the year communication by central banks they were caught wrong-footed. They were caught um, without really understanding the narrative. And then I would say the highlight, in, in a sense, is they flipped in the second half of the year. They've been really good. And I would actually pay a compliment to the RBA here and say, I think the criticism that they endured, which was, you know, in no part, um, you know, not just their own fault, it was, it was, it was other things, but... They've they've lifted their game in the second half, particularly the last few months of the year, where they've been far more clear on the way they 
get out and uh, uh, I guess massage the message right. to people. I would I would agree too. No shortage of microphones at the RBA, and I think a lot of people were a little bit confused about exactly what the clear messaging was on that side. I think if he if if Governor Lowe was running a football team, do you think he'd still be in charge? Or do you think it'd be a matter about the wins and losses? Uh, look, I think f- football teams typically change over fairly quickly, so <laughs> possibly not. But, you know, it, it does go back to just around this time last year, and it is it is just over a year ago, but it was the yield curve control, frankly, debacle, the way it was handled. Um, I that really that. did set off uh, a major disruption in the way investors see Australia. It really damaged Australia's credibility. And, and when Gareth and I went to both the US and Europe and the UK earlier this year, we had very, very pointed conversations with clients telling us their views on the central bank and the way um, messages were uh, passed out. And they, And you can see it in the capital flow data. Investors abandoned Australian fixed income. Um, and uh, that's a disappointing thing to hear. I mean, it yeah. doesn't but, yeah, upset okay. me on a daily basis, but it, it, it was, it, you know, that was a really bad thing, I think, a real low part of the year. All right, well, we've got um, Kit Lowe, I think, has just managed to, to, to figure yeah. out where his microphone is. Kit, uh, highlights, highlights and lowlights of 2022? Um, oh, 2022. Um, yeah, I think I agree with Martin. I think the, uh, the second half of the year, the central banks have... Uh, moved a lot closer to where market pricing is. Uh, the, I thought the market did a very good job uh, last year around the yield curve control and for the first six months of this year, leading um, leading both central banks and analysts to the inflationary impulse that was happening. Um, if you look at the way the curve is reacting, you look at the short end, uh, how, how yields exploded higher. Uh, first, 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 what happened last year is that the curve steepened as uh, investors didn't want to hold duration because that's what's going to hurt you the most because they saw inflation coming. And then at the start of this year, the curve started flattening and going negative, especially in the States, uh, and led, led, led central banks and, and analysts to the path we're at now. In other words, uh, the market anticipated pretty well that the central banks would have to increase rates. So I think you know, there's, as I, the first half of the year was a low light for central banks, but a highlight in the second year, part, part of the year. And... Um, I think the market's done a pretty good job. The rates market of pricing where um, pricing where the rate should be. Yeah. What's your outlook for twenty twenty three? Generally speaking, I know that you, you you are incredibly good at this. Not to not to talk you up too much. So I mean, I'm, we're all ears with regards to any big stuff that you'd like to look at or see or what uh, what your outlook is going to be. Well, with regards to the RBA, I would expect probably in the February statement or the March statement that they actually change. The wording from uh, we expect to increase rates in the future to we expect to tighten monetary policy in the future. And that'll help heighten the market's awareness or the, the consumer's awareness of what's going to be happening. From from March onwards, we get the TFF um, will start to close down for the banks. So that's a, that's a sort of programmed automatic tightening. And that happens from about March uh, 2023 through to when they cease uh, so that'll be about July 2024. So that's automatic sort of sort of QT happening. And then, of course, we've got the big uh, April 2023 maturity uh, where the RBA owns probably more of that bond as a percentage than they do with other lines of stock, the other one being the April 2024. So I think they can point to the fact that we are doing monetary policy tightening via QT 
uh, rather than, you know, and that's going to affect, and as we know, the fixed rate mortgages start rolling up as well. So that they'll point to it as a tightening of monetary policy and change the wording, probably either the February or March statement from we're leading from tight, increasing rates to we're, in, we're uh, tightening monetary policy. So that'll be an important junk, and that'll mean that, you know, the rates itself may not go as high as um, some, you know, some analysts have pointed to 4.1. Um, in the States, I think the important thing to probably watch is uh, the U.S. debt limit. Um, that's that'll probably arrive probably in late July, quarter three. And what that means for the Fed's balance sheet, um, the, the Fed is, uh, and I think Martin probably agree with me, they have a liability problem on the side of the balance sheet to how much quantitative tightening they can do. Yeah. If they want to continue to roll off at about 99 billion a month. Uh, there's a limit liability-wise to what they can do. And it depends how markets and equities react to the fact that will they see that as being a, um, as a, uh, a. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Yeah, you know, as a signal that the... Um, E, uh, tightening in the Fed is coming to an end. So, these are the things I'm looking at. Okay, not bad. Adelaide, your outlook for 2023 or I'll just sort of think, did, did, did you want to talk about your highlights and lowlights for the for the year behind? Actually, no, do that. Do the highlights and lowlights for 2023. I lost my bit in the book. I got, I got caught up in Kit's dulcet tones talking about amazing things i always do that sorry about that so adelaide yeah so highlights lowlights for 2022 please anything awesome that hits you so highlight i think for me is that you know what we saw in the economy was such a huge transformation you know through the policy volatility through the movement between you know stimulus from covid into overheat overheating and all of the changes in the way that, um, you know, policy dynamics actually transmit through the economy. You know, the RBA has to kind of think about things differently than they have before um, because we're just not seeing the same um, lags in monetary policy anymore. We've got more savings, things like that. And I would say the low light is that a lot of people haven't actually noticed that the rules have changed. Um, we're, see- we're still seeing a lot of forecasting and analysis that takes the template from pre-COVID, which I don't really think is reliable anymore. So 
you know, I think if you dig down and if I could make my answer a little bit more detailed, like some of the highlights I see in the economy is there's more flexibility, there's more working from home. There are different groups of people that were not able to come into the employment market, but because they can work from home, they now can. So if, you know, that's people with caring responsibilities or certain disabilities that, you know, disallow them from that pre-COVID working operation system. Um, And I would say that, you know, seeing the Reserve Bank finally actually move the cash rate uh, has been a really great change from the beginning of the year where I know even on this podcast, James, that I've definitely complained to, about this to you a few times, there were a few months there where nothing was going on, there were no downside risks yeah. to tightening monetary policy, and we're finally seeing it happen. And I think, um, you know, I don't see any real, um, for 2023, I do see it as the year of the slowdown. Uh, I think we will start to see household consumption per person go backwards, particularly in the second half of the year. You know, that's a essentially getting towards per capita recession territory. Um, But I also think that we're finally going to see less policy volatility, which I think is really important. And that tight labour market continuing through 2023 is going to be a huge protective factor, both for, you know, household uh, well-being, um, for the housing market, um, to an extent as well, and certainly for um, financial stability. You know, we've got now the risks are that you can't pay your bills or you can't do your normal lifestyle with your paycheck, even if that paycheck is growing, but the risk that's no longer there is that you're going to lose your job and not get another one. Very, very few people in the economy right now are in that situation, and I think that's something that's going to really continue through 2023 despite immigration immigration fills jobs but it also creates jobs you know every time you buy coffee you're creating a tiny portion of a barista job every time you rent a house you're creating a tiny portion of a whole range of of jobs so i think that part of the 2023 outlook is is really positive but it's not going to be enough to protect us from the fact that wages are going backwards when we take inflation into account monetary tightening is not going to reverse in 2023 i think we'll be able to finally look at the policy landscape with more certainty, but also with the fear that that policy landscape is actually not really that great for anyone who wants to spend or borrow big. Uh, And after so many years of low inflation, after so many years of interest rates only really going one direction, uh, I think it's going to be something that will take a while for Australian and the global economy to process, not just on a financial basis, but I think um, for so many of those households that you know, have never experienced this, there's going to be some kind of cultural processing around that as well. Yeah, uh, we're, we're seeing that. I mean, well, the Canaries, I don't know, New Zealand, have a look at at, at New Zealand. We're going to look at this, the Canary of South Korea and we're also having a look at what's happening in the United States as well for our local um, bits and pieces here as well. Now, I hereby open up the microphone. I need wild, give me some sort of wild predictions and expectations for anything with regards to anything around the world. What does anyone see happening in anything. The microphone is now open. Please make your statements now and then we'll be able to come back to it in a year's time and see who was right and who was wrong. I think there's been a great reckoning in the crypto market and I see that having further to play. Uh, the the uh, era of low interest rates um, has exposed a lot of shenanigans as, as perhaps. Yep. And, uh, you know, you just keep seeing these things and why people are continuously surprised, um, I guess, shows perhaps that some people are neophytes in the industry, but it's, uh, you know, you just see these things happening all the time now and um, I think it just gets worse and investment go back to plain, simple basics. 
Yep, yep, bread and butter, bread and butter sort of stuff. Uh, Kit, you got anything wild out there that uh, that you'd like to have a big big statement on? Well, I, I would I would say that I agree with Martin on the crypto, but I think the FTX liquidation would take a decade. Um, if you look, if you look at what MF Global, how long it took to unwind yeah. that, and, and I, yeah. I was on that creditors committee for a long time, and that was a regulated, um, that was a regulated uh, institution uh, worldwide. But when you get involved in some sort of uh, liquidation across multiple jurisdictions, yeah, I can't say that. That's going to be a ten-year, you know, ten-year movie basically. Lehman's yeah. only finished last year or this year, I think. And Bell Resources is still going. Yeah. I think Ansett Ansett only finished a couple of years ago, didn't it? That's yeah. that was the one that everyone was sort of interested in. So that yeah, this does take a long time, and it's not a regulator. It was just hey, hand hand a guy whose last name is Bankman some money and see what happens. So um, yes. good, uh, Heath mate, you got to have some wild uh, some wild predictions for the year ahead. Yeah, look, I think uh, two of the hottest sectors this year on the ASX were were lithium and coal, uh, for obvious reasons. Both the underlying um, prices of the commodities, you know, went through the roof. Um, I'm seeing both prices may fall by, you know, up to 50% in 2023. I think we're starting to see a bit of weakness in the EV sector in China. Uh, subsidies may be not rolled over next year. Um, there could be a little bit more supply come online as well. And, you know, at the moment, I think it's around sixty dollars to $70,000 a tonne spot price in China for lithium. I think uh, we can see that come down to about the thirty to forty thousand, which historically is still really high. But um, James, James just has to leave the call to sell his lithium stocks right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to front run but, my own podcast. No, yeah. it's, it's, I don't hold any lithium, so it's, it's yeah. I'm so um, uh, I I believe that. And coal, I think coal, we're going to get a fairly moderate winter in Europe this uh, this year, um, and we'll see plentiful energy uh, across the board. Um, to sort of coincide with, you know, the slowdown in China and possible recessions in Europe and the US as well. So I think coal coal prices, again, you know, may come down to around $20, $20 a tonne um, thermal, which, again, is still historically really high, but in context of where it is at the moment, uh, uh, you know, almost half price. So I think those two things will sort of play out in 2023, um, but also give opportunity to jump back in the latter half of the year into those both those sectors. Yeah, big... Uh, the, the, my... my play for the way that I'm going to be going into 2023 and I'll do it for as long as it works and I'll stop doing it when it stops working is is sort of big over underweight allocations moving in based on just huge moves in the market I do still stand by the view that we will finish 23 pretty much where we start Um, we'll be point to point from where we are now to next year about the same but the path to get there will be extraordinary it'll be ups it'll be downs China coming back online is inflationary People are starting to, to realise that now. And then there's a the question mark over how back online China is actually going to come. The protests that, well, effectively, did the protests lead to the reopening? And now the reopening is going to lead to potentially a million deaths in China based on the modelling that I'm seeing. That will then mean that there's potential for closures, which then has question marks over global inflation, which then has question marks over what that's going to do to interest rates, which then has question marks over what that's going to do to equity markets. That's, that's the way that this is going to play for 2023. So big, wild moves. In and out, take your time and and time it. Try not to get the timing too accurate, Kit. I know that I, I, I can't because I'm not that magician, but that's the way that I'm going to be just sort of just big, slow, hulking, overweight and underweight allocations. Still staying long bonds uh, for myself because I love you, Marty, but, um, and, and that is going to be a, a really good one. But I, I think that 
uh, that's just how that's going to go for 2023. Sector specific, I think I'm actually now looking at food going, I, I don't really think that there's as much of an urgency to have the food trade that I've had, and I actually closed that out a little while ago, so happy to be exit of that one, but um, the f- food scarcity is not going to be the biggest story of the year um, as we go into it. Anyone got any predictions on the Ukrainian situation and how it, and, and if that's going to resolve itself or what the next stage for that is going to be? I, I think they'll uh, it'll just amble along for years to come. Yeah. Um, I think the eventually the US will pull back in terms of you know the amount of uh, ammunition they, they're giving them. And it will just uh, Russia will occupy, especially that eastern uh, border area, for some time, and it will fade into you know not nothingness, but it will be in the back of our minds, um, whereas still at the forefront really at the moment. That's I think it's got a long time to play out. That's a bit unfortunate. Well, look, I'm going to uh, the last chance on the open mic here for anyone to throw anything out there that they'd like to say. Otherwise, I'm going to have to close the show. I'd love to throw out some wild views. Oh um, yes, go. <laughs> Um, Look, short term, I think the big thing that I'm seeing is we're barreling towards a housing shortage in Australia. You know, builders are are seeing the materials go up. We're seeing actually 40% of builders over the last quarter of data were operating under negative cash flow uh, and housing prices are falling. So it's not a great time to be building. Thanks. Um, I'm putting a second level on my house next year. Yeah. (laughs) And we're about to open up the country again with immigration. So anyway, sorry, Adelaide. Yes, exactly. Uh, Immigration, but also tourism, which feeds into the Airbnb or similar markets, which also um, actually reduces housing stock for long-term residents. Um, In the medium term, you know, I'm really excited about a potential energy technology revolution. The, The it's so the world is so ripe for you know getting a bit more crazy on that side of things because not only do we have the geopolitical um, tensions that are making energy really expensive, um, but we've also and also making Europe think twice about where they're getting their energy from long term. Um, but we're also seeing some of those other climate related um, business risks for you know agri business for energy in general for commodities and um, that plus a different voter demographic across the world who are more interested in in changing some of those big factors. So long-term, I think, you know, some more wild energy technology ideas might come within the Overton window, the window of things that we consider acceptable, uh, and that's something that I'm looking forward to. And my third wild view is the pyjama revolution in Australia and across the world. You know, I don't think the labour market is going to loosen enough for business owners and employers to have a great amount of power over their employee um, working locations and conditions. I think by the time the labour market loosens this flexible working, work-life balance, I don't want to come into the office five days a week thing will pretty much be set in stone culturally. And, um, you know, right now we're in only the very, very early stages of that. People are still too scared to move regionally because you just don't know what your next job's going to demand of you, um, let alone your current job. Um, But I think the pyjama revolution will only be strengthening in that sense. Is that called Normcore? Is that what the young kids call normcore, wearing your pyjamas out to the shops? I think normcore is like um, dressing really mainstream but kind of ironically more than oh, about pyjamas. <laughs> what are you, what are you people talking about? The the Udi revolution, isn't it? The the Udi, is it called? The the, the sort oh, of yeah, the, the, one the fleeced, fleeced smock thing that, yeah, that my the young got, ones wear. My girls have got the Udis. They love those things. And, yeah, and, yeah, my daughter's got one. It's the middle of December and they're still wearing the damn things because it's freezing. Oh, actually, weather weather prediction. I was 
um, out playing golf the other day and I did something that is just inherently with the farmers just do and I was looking at the, the, the grass is perfect, everything is everything is watered and it, you just think we're, we're at the top of this market uh, weather-wise and in a couple of years we're going to be dry as a bone again. You can just see that we are as green as we're going to get and now that everything is going to start to switch and we're going to be looking at a La Nina um, an El Nino situation as opposed to the La Nina, which is not find us. So that's something that just sort of I felt that in my bones, you know, in the in, in the in the subcockle region. I thought that's um, that's something that we're going to, to, to think about just going ahead to. So Australia's going to be a little bit dry for the next couple of years, and it's all going to start in the next few months. So that's that's my wild prediction that I've got ahead, but that's, I don't think that's anything too revolutionary. And just one thing I'll say, what Adelaide was talking about, the um, energy thing, uh, yesterday the US scientists for the first time ever released the fusion energy thing where they had a net mm. energy gain yeah, that's for the first that, yeah. time in human history, which is a big thing for more hydrogen than uranium. Still a long way off, but if they, they've never been able to do that before where they've used more energy to produce this net fusion thing. So that's a big thing. Where's and the trade? Yep, and then we've oh, well, it's a long way off hydrogen still. But also, when you with your remarks about China, James, I think the uh, China reopening probably April. That will be uh, inflationary for the commodities they want, but deflationary because they will be able to produce consumer goods to export to the west, rest of the world again at a cheaper price than most other countries can produce them at. I think. So I think. A, yeah, you know, my, it'll be look, inflationary and then deflationary. I think. Yeah, it'll pop. It'll pop higher. Yeah, it'll pop higher, and then eventually it'll go back to doing what China was always doing, which is why, which is why it was so hard for central banks to get inflation higher because of the Chinese manufacturing just, um, just coming in underneath. I think if we go, if. We, and undercutting prices, I was going to say. If we go back to early iterations of this show, it would have been Ken and Paul and myself talking about that inflation couldn't possibly go higher because of the Chinese manufacturing. There were early episodes of the show in 2020, and wow, uh, how wrong we were on that particular regard. So that, uh, that's something to think about. Well, I think I'd chuck in on, as an addendum to that is uh, watch inventories. Um Companies have been very well aware of the cash flows or the, the cash position that consumers have got. They've been building up their inventories because they've seen everlasting sales. And as the bite of interest rates and higher cost of living does really impact people, um, all these companies who have you know very high inventory levels will start to underperform. And, uh, and I think that can be very deflationary for a lot of prices. Yeah, we've seen that, especially in the US retailers in the second half of this year, where yeah, very, very high inventory levels leading to long periods of um, price cutting and, and margin, which is deflationary in itself. So it'll be interesting to see if Australian retailers learn from that and and uh, keep their inventory uh, levels a little bit more moderate. Yeah, I'm just sort of thinking about if you were on a Bloomberg terminal, you'd, you'd want to be, and you're, if you're assessing a company, would you be looking at inventory turnover as the ratio to, to have on that one, or is it um, anyone who anyone who's done any financial analysis in a deep sense? I've just Good. been looking like at things like at Walmart, etc. I've just been looking at their historical inventory levels, yeah, um, on a, almost on a sales ratio, and um, that's and it. It's much much higher than than it usually is at the moment. Although yep. Walmart is still performing pretty well, but we, yeah, we, we moved we moved from a just in time model, which has been there for twenty years, to a just get it and put it in uh, in the last year and a half, and. Uh, so that probably means that companies have really boosted those inventories to levels where, um, you know, they could be under some pressure on their margins if they 
don't sell them. So, yeah, you've got to be careful about changing that model. Yeah, well, have a look at that. So if you're if the company that you're thinking of investing in has anything to do with widgets, check how many check how many widgets they've got on the shelves based yeah, watch on out for historic widgets. averages. Surely inventories have to be structurally higher now globally, though. I mean, I, I think this is one of those things where we've realised the just-in-time model is not quite as good as the just-in-case model when you know there's so much global volatility and with geopolitical tensions going the way they are, which is to say just worsening over time. That's true. Um, we're going to have to maybe moderate some of those some of those guidelines that we used pre-COVID to understand that the rules of the game are different now and I think inventories are such a great example of that. I think we'll move back to the just-in-time, but it, where where supplies are coming from will be more diverse. Yeah. So like we've seen with chip makers how they're, you know, a lot of them moving partially to the US and Vietnam and stuff like that. So they, you know, inventories will come from different areas rather than just all China or wherever they're getting from. So that if something does happen, you know, you've got that just in case sort of backup as well. Very good. Well, look, uh, on that one, I think that we've been going uh, quite well there. So that's a really good coverage for the show. Last chance for anyone to make anything big statements, bold statements, or even just some shout outs to family and friends. Also, fantastic. Break. Have a great break. Have, have a, a great, great Christmas, Christmas, everyone. Thank yeah, you. Have a very Merry Christmas. Yep. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, Heath Moss from HLM Investments. Uh, who else we got? Martin Wetton from Commonwealth Bank. Adelaide Timbrell from the ANZ Bank. And Kit Lowe, who is uh, – what, what do you do? He's the, the CIO of Lowe Capital Management I've got here. Fantastic work. So thanks very much for joining us, uh, everyone, and I hope you have a great break, and, and I look forward to talking to you all in 2023. Thanks for having us on, Thanks. Bye. 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 You can find us on iTunes at The Bip Show or wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Twitter at the underscore Bip underscore show, and we're on Facebook too. Just search for The Bip Show. I've got a website. Just Google Whelan Capital. It's got all of the links and all of the documents that you want to know. Individually, I am at James Whelan 42 on Twitter. The show is produced by whoever I could find on the day. Thank you very much. We'll catch you next time. Hey, everyone. It's James here. Really quickly, thank you for listening to the show and thank you for all of your support that you've that you've given me through the year. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Just to note also, I am hosting a webinar in February next year. It's going to be jam-packed an hour. It's online. Lots of guest speakers have lined up already and uh, and it's going to be great. So if you could show your support, get behind that one and, and click an RSVP. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it'd be a great sign. It's going to be a great night. I'm really, really looking forward to it. So thanks, guys. But for now, have yourself a great break. If you're taking one, Merry Christmas, New Year. Stay safe.